0: Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Exodus, please. Thank you, choir, for that song and this message. Thank you, orchestra, and uh, for leading us together and preparing our hearts um, to get to the Word of God today. The Greek philosopher Plato said that the saga of a nation is a saga of... Of a family written large. Think about that for a moment. The saga of an entire nation. History, as it were. The history of a nation is that exact same history of a family written large. He's exactly right. Culturally speaking, your culture and our culture, our Western culture, American culture... Cannot be separated from how we define the family, from its composition, its chemistry, its DNA. I don't know how many of you watched the debate on Fox News back on Friday night. It was a good stand up comedy effort there for a couple hours there, but there was one candidate who mentions something that I believe bears upon kind of the, the, the direction of this text when we were talking about a question about the military and and allowing the transgendered and, and all this stuff, which is in the forefront of our culture, and I can promise you this, Bologna and every other church is going to be facing it sooner rather than later. It's coming. Mark my words. You say, not in Hilliard. Trust me, it's already here. We just haven't dealt with it yet, but it's coming and the and the candidate re- replied this way he said he said that the military is not the place for social experimentation neither is the family it is not open for debate how the family consists and runs and and all that stuff it is it is it is a closed book because god has already defined it every attempt to change it will result in failure at some point. It may last for a season, and it may appear to be successful, but the definition of a family, the construct, the teaching, the ideals, everything that we know about the family, if it is not consistent with the Word of God, it will eventually crumble and fail. If Plato is right, and I believe that he is, every nation, every culture, if it's one written as a family at large, and it is, you can see what can happen to cultures in entire societies if they are not conforming, or if their families are not conforming to the construct that God has provided. Here we come, to the fifth commandment, honor thy father and mother. We can never have, I think, a more timely message on parenting and the family than today. And Gottlieb is one of the many participants who've identified the 60s as that generation that destroyed the traditional American family. She wrote, we might not have been able to tear down the state, but the family was closer, and we could get our hands on that. And we believe that the family was the foundation of the state as well as the collective state of mind. We truly believe that the family had to be torn torn apart to free love, which alone could heal the damage done when the atom was split to release energy. And the first step was to tear ourselves free from our parents. You may deny the impact, but the world doesn't deny the impact. They see it. The way to destroy a nation is to destroy the family. The way children can can, can destroy the family is by disobedience to parents who are not living up to their biblical ideals. So, Here's the big idea for the verse. And let's look at the verse before we go any further. It's Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. You can recite it, right? Honor thy father and thy mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God gave you. That's the verse. Now, we've you know, kind of shortened it for Sunday school and, and for the posters in the, you know, when we put it up on the hallways or whatever. Honor thy father and mother. But that's, there's more to it. As a matter of fact, just saying honor thy father and mother, you're only getting half the verse. You're only getting half the command. Honor thy father and thy mother so that your days may be long. In other words, there's a reason for honor thy father and mother, and this is it. So that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God gave you. So, what's the big idea? Let me give you the big idea kind of in a a short, quick, brief sentence. The foundation of honoring every command is the esteem to which we give every relationship. Let me say that again. The foundation for honoring every command, all, all ten of these, the Decalogue. The foundation for honoring every command is, to, is the esteem to which we give every relationship. If I devalue the relationship, I will find it difficult to honor the command. If I devalue my walk with God, I'm not gonna find it very easy to honor a Sabbath. To watch the language that I use in uttering His name. To having, I'll find it more easy to have idols in my life. If I don't care how I treat other people, then I'm going to find it more easily to steal, kill, adultery, all those things, and to dishonor my mother and father. Do you see what's going on here? The reason why we know that this is an absolute true assessment of this verse is going to begin with the first word of the verse. And so I'm going to break down this text into about three key statements and explain to you why this verse is the linchpin, really, for the entire Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. It begins with the word honor. The word honor. The word honor here is is one that you know, we just kind of breeze by it. We don't, you know, we just kind of put our, our our understanding about the word. It just means respect. Right, uh, it just means well for for my mother and my father. I'm going to do what they say, stuff like that. Well, that's those are signs of honor. That's not the definition of honor. But the reason why we use this command as a linchpin, and why do we use this word honor as the beginning of this of the importance of this verse with relationship, not only to my my walk with God, but my walk with every other relationship, is because this word was used. For all of those relationships, if I am going to honor my father and mother, there is a horizontal relationship going on here. I've, I've got to respect. But in Proverbs chapter three and verse nine, you can write that. Uh, you write down that that passage there. Proverbs three and verse nine. Why don't you listen to to this verse? Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your. Produce, then your barns will be plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Verse nine, the word honor, same Hebrew word. That same Hebrew word is used in its in its Greek counterpart is used throughout the Scriptures, defining our relationship to hor- horizontal, uh, you know, horizontal relationships, and also my vertical relationship, how I relate to God. So when we read the word honor, we know it's going to be a big deal. Uh, um, it, it, it's it's our concept, our understanding of how we treat God. What does it mean? It's it's glory. It's glory. What, what does glory mean? It means I'm going to focus on the high status of that position. Now, I know you and I, we, we do this. You know, we may say it with the words, you know, I don't want to put someone up on a pedestal. Yeah, I can can understand that. But, you know, I I think the reverse, when it is done, may, may bring also maybe even greater damage. We see what's happening in a world where there's not a great esteem for police officers. What happens? A disrespect for the law. What happens when we take parents off a pedestal? Their position their status, what God has named them to be? What happens with children kind of bring them down here and treat them like brother and sister? What happens when we take other positions that that are honorable and we bring them down? Do we not see that there's a correlation that when, when we bring something down that maybe God says, no, I want you to esteem it and I want you to honor it, things begin to go awry. And we don't enjoy the way God meant it for us to enjoy. And this word honor, it's looking back on the previous four commands, our relationship to God, and now it's going to start pointing us forward. It's going to point us forward to a greater understanding of possessions and property rights and not stealing. Murder. And the value of life. Adultery. And honoring the relationships and the bonds of marriage. Of being who God designed you to be and not bearing a false witness. Not not feeling like you have to put on airs to be accepted by other people. to realize that what God has given you is enough and you can be satisfied so you don't need to covet what someone else has. You see what's happening here? This verse is, is a big deal. John Calvin, the theologian of the Reformation, said the first foundation of righteousness is the worship of God When this is overthrown, all the remaining parts of righteousness, like the pieces of a shattered and fallen building, are mangled and scattered. Apart from the fear of God, men do not preserve equity and love among themselves. Therefore, we call the worship of God the beginning and the foundation of righteousness. What is he talking about there? So far, in the first four commands, we have been taught about our relationship with God. If that's not preserved intact then how will I know how to honor my father and my mother? Therefore, my relationship and my walk with God is going to be first and foremost. and It has got to be there or else I do not get the the horizontal stuff right. That's why God said uh, through Jesus, his son, when he was questioned about these, these commands, what's the best one? Well, you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength. But the second one is just like the first. You love other people. The way you love yourself. Now, I'm going to tell you something that you're really super good at. Without any training and without, without any schooling, you don't have to read about it in a magazine or a book, but you're already an expert on it. You know what you're good at? You're good at loving yourself. And so am I. And I'm not saying that's a necessary bad thing. I'm just saying we're good at it. We are good at doing what we want for ourselves. We are awesome at it. But Jesus said, what you love for yourself is going to be a basis for your love for everyone else. The way you love yourself, you you need to put that out for others. St. Augustine said this, If anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone else that he will spare? I mean, if you can't even honor... The, the most important immediate horizontal relationship that you've got is going to be between you and your parents, and parents to children. And if that crumbles, then where is the respect and honor for everything else? So that's honor. What about father and mother? What is interesting is that the Old Testament, which is a, you know, a patriarchal type driven you know, uh, uh, series of books, singularly identifies the positions of both father and mother as equal authority in the shaping of the child's life and in the value of the home. Does that have any bearing on the meaning of the text? Absolutely. The text could have just said parents. But no, we have a father and a mother. Why is that? Well, think about creation. There was a first series of parents, a father and a mother. Um... Kind of thinking about gender, it was a man and a woman. And that was and it was just one of each. So that's where we kind of began our understanding of its significance. God has defined how our culture operates. It has defined the base unit of our culture. John McKay wrote, The status of father and mother had to be jointly acknowledged to preserve integrity of the family and also promote the well-being of society. When societies fail to observe the need to promote family life they are sowing the seeds of their own downfall. So in other words honoring of parents represents the beginning of honor for other relationships where honor is taught expected and given that honor is transferred to others. And we have examples in the scriptures. We have the relationship of state and citizen in Romans 13. We have the example of pastor and layman in 1 Timothy 5.17. The the, the, uh, husband and wife in Ephesians 5, 22 and 23. Guess what? We also have relationships that are taught between employer and employee in Ephesians 6, verses uh, uh, 5 through 8. You see, guys, everything begins in the home. I remember getting my very first job. And uh, it was it was not a big deal. Uh, I worked at a general store. I mean, like the the, the 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 typical general store. I mean, we sold everything from cans of bologna to work boots. You know, I mean, we sold everything—dickies, pants for work—and we sold cans of sardines. We sold fertilizer. It was a true general store, and it was run by Mister Ed Acock. Mister Ed Acock was the proprietor, and it was painted on the side of the store. That was my first job. And my dad was driving me because it was uh, you know my first day of work and, and he felt he needed to give me some final pointers, and he was giving me some pointers about respecting my employer. For to him it was a big deal. Do what he says, you know, don't but don't wait to be told to do something. You you stay you be busy, be at work, you know. My understanding and work ethic or of a work ethic Began with what my mom and dad told me. So we kind of shift from a children-centered word of honor. When we get to father and mother, it kind of goes back to you parents. You've got a job to do at home. And it's and it's no other person's responsibility first. It is not the school system, it's not Sunday school, it's not the church. It is not a government program's responsibility. You alone have been identified to teach your children the ways of the Lord. As it says in Deuteronomy, to teach our children. As you walk along the way, at home at night, when you lay down, when you rise up, everything in between, parents, it is up to you. And no one else. Because when God shapes it that way, you cannot guarantee that it's going to be done anywhere else. But when it's tried, how do you know that what you're getting is biblical? Mother, Father, this text is as much about you as it is about your children. And we could him, haw and complain and talk about the, na- the, the status of this country because and, 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 that's easy to do. One thing in ministry I have found out, guys, it's easy to talk. And it's super easy to complain. But what about those who get the job done, who want to get the job done, who are trying to work desperately? That begins with you. Parents, that is your first order of business. It is your absolute priority to train your children up in the way of the Lord. And it begins with an understanding of who God is. Remember those first four commands? Because that applies to you as well. You're not going to know what to teach your children if you don't know God yourself. Let me just put it to you this way. You will give to your children what is in your heart right now. If you have a hard heart, what are you going to give your children? If if you're a cynic, what are you going to teach your children? Let me ask you this. Is that what you want for your children? Do you want your children to have a cynical attitude, a judgmental attitude? Do you want them to have a hard heart or a stiff neck? I've told you all several times, many times, I relate what my father and my mother did with me, how formative it was in my years of rebellion. Parents, please listen. I was in stuff I should have never never been in. Students, let me tell you something. Your relationships now, I promise you, can, can impact your life. You realize two of my closest friends in, in, in high school, are dead in the grave. Both of them got shot. One got shot for messing around with another woman. Another got shot for dog fighting. And I was in church almost every Sunday. But it wasn't until I woke up one morning, normal day for me. Only thing I need to do is get ready and get out of the house. Go do my thing. I was in college at the time and go spend some time taking classes and then I'm off doing whatever. Something slowed me up one morning. I don't even remember why or how. it was my practice of my mom and dad to do devotions kind of early in the morning. And guys, it's it's something to tell people you're praying for them, but when you hear people praying for you. And I heard my dad. And here I am, a church-going kid, on the outside, I look straight and narrow. It's easy for us to do that on a Sunday morning, but what about the face you put on on Monday morning? What's going on on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday? Listen, I had—I I was the biggest hypocrite you could have ever seen, and then I heard my dad praying for me. You know what I found? This is what I realized: there's hope. I did not. I, I could walk out that door. Listen, by God's grace, it, I could walk out that door and live a different life, and do something different with my life. And I was trying to play a big act. I mean, I was in—I was in—you know—public service as a firefighter and EMT, and then trying to hang on to all of these relationships. I couldn't even keep those because they were getting shot left and right. And so on a weekend in April of 1994, up next to an LP gas tank that was on fire, the Lord put me on fire, literally. Lit me up on my left side from top to bottom. First, second degree burns, top of my head, down to bottom of my feet. And I realized then, Everything, it, it, was, it was almost like an instantaneous thing. Everything that my mom and, said, mom and dad had said about church, God, it was immediately true. I knew then, God, there's got to be something different. There's got to be something different from my life. And it was not just a mom and dad who would pray for me They modeled it. They demonstrated it. It was not lip service to my parents. Parents, this is where the rubber is going to meet the road for you and I. Are we just giving our kids lip service about love for God? Or are we demonstrating what ought to be done and how it should be done? Because I can promise you, listen to me, the next generation is going to pick up on more of what uh, of uh, more of what you do than what you say. They'll, listen, they'll hone in on your attitudes. They'll remember yeah, they'll remember the words. But your actions are gonna speak louder. Does your walk match your talk? I don't know about you, my walk ain't easy i got a book right now. I'm reading a John Owen book. He was a Puritan writer. Waking up early in the morning and trying to read works from the 15th century is not always easy. (laughs) But I found it has been gold in my life and, and developing my heart and drawing me closer to the Lord. But it is hard work. But are you willing to invest in it? Are you willing to do the hard stuff Are you willing to make the adjustments that need to be made? What are you willing to do? Here's why. The last part of the verse tells us you have no guarantees. Look at this. That your days may be long in the land that you earned. No, that's not what the Bible says. That the Lord... Your God gave you. You are here only because God says so. Think about that, guys. The next breath you take, you only take it because God designed it that way. If you have the chance to make it home and not die in a car crash, you will only get there because of God's amazing grace. You don't live in this land on accident. God gave it to you. And he says, your obedience towards me has everything to do to how you enjoy your time in the land. Now, is he talking about actual hours of the day and how many years that I'll live? Well, theologically speaking, this, this phrase here is called an aphorism. And, uh, aphorism, excuse me. An aphorism is a saying that generally it is valid you know, when it's demonstrated in life. And and we know that this verse is correct. And here's why. Let's look at it at a common sense level. A godly mom and dad will teach their children to stay away from a lot of dangerous, harmful stuff, right? If you stay away from a lot of dangerous, harmful stuff, you tend to live longer. That's just the way it is. If you don't have parents who tell you to stay away from drugs and alcohol and stuff like that, those things are, are going to be the ones that kill you. Staying away from people, you know, I had bad influences in my life. And I just think about every day. God, had I stayed with them one extra day, would I have been with them? Had I been there one extra day? So the saying is absolutely true. Yes, lengthwise, your day will be long. But the word long also has another connotation. And it means enjoyment. That your days will be long. In other words, it will be full and complete. That has everything to do with why God said, this is the land that I'm giving you. I am giving you a promised inheritance. I'm giving you something of mine to you. And if I'm going to give you something of mine to you, I'm going to tell you how to enjoy it the way it's supposed to be enjoyed. That your days may be long in the land. So parents... And children, if that relationship is not based upon God, if there is no honor of the Sabbath, if there is no honor of God's name, if there is no, uh, if there is a, a, a presence of idols where God is not singly and wholly worshipped and honored as God, you won't enjoy the, the time you've got in the land. It won't happen. Years ago, Princeton University had a well-known man as their president. His name was Woodrow Wilson. He was also our nation's president. He spoke these words to a parents group. He said, I get many letters from you parents about your children. You want to know why we people up here in Princeton can't make more out of them and do more for them. Let me tell you the reason we can't. It may shock you just a little, but I'm not trying to be rude. The reason is that they are your sons reared in your homes, blood of your blood and bone of your bone. They have absorbed the ideals of your homes. You have formed and fashioned them. They are your sons. In those malleable, moldable years of their lives, you have forever left your imprint upon them. So when I look at the impact that I want my son and my daughter to make on this world, and let me go ahead and tell you, just so you'll know what impact I want them to make. It's not wealth. It's not in help. It is kingdom. I want my son, Elijah, and my daughter, Sarah, to find themselves plugged in wherever they can do the most damage for hell. Wherever God can put them to usher in more souls into the kingdom, that's the place I want them. I cannot face my maker. I'm just speaking for me personally. I don't know what you what standards you are, but I will not be able to face God on judgment day if I do not have that ideal for my kids. What if I went to him and I said, God, all I wanted for them is make a lot of money. I wanted them to be successful. I wanted them to have the things that I didn't have. There's a lot of things I didn't have as a kid, and I'm a lot better off for it. God, I want my children to have been the arrows of a warrior of God where I could draw back, and I see the target that will do the most good, and I'm going to let it go. Because God, that's what you told me in the book of Genesis. That's the way the family is supposed to be. It is, not, it is not for the family business. It is, not for the, it is to do the work of the kingdom. And I have seen family units doing that as a whole unit. Right where God placed them. I've seen family units do it when they've spread out and, and gotten into places. I've seen them do it a variety of ways. But here's my point. God gave you this land. I'm not being rude and I'm not not being ugly. I, I understand the value of our armed forces. But it would be rank heresy if I did not say that America, our country, where we live, is more a product of a gracious God than anything else. And I want to enjoy this time here. This is not a political message. This is just, this is a biblical message. I want my son and my daughter, I want them to enjoy the time that they have on this earth. But it begins with their mom and dad knowing enough about God and teaching them that the gospel is not a gospel of convenience. I serve God with all of my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength every minute of the day. I want to give my son and my daughter a father and a mother that's worthy to be honored. And then and only then will I be able to look at them and say, Guys, pay attention to my lead. Listen to what I'm telling you. Heed what I'm teaching you. Be mindful of the warnings. What imprint? What imprint of the greatest command are your children receiving in your home right now? What is it? What what imprint of authority? What imprint of the gospel? is in your home, what impact are you having upon your children? Think about it this way. What if someone else, what the pastor or deacon came by your home and they asked your children to define the gospel, to define the church? What if someone kind of independently from your family asked your child without your help, what would they say? That will give you an indication as to what's being taught. What is the imprint? And let me give you the secret. Let me give you the clue and I'm done. I'm sorry about the outline. I just, you got what you got. But the imprint of your children that you make upon your children. You can't give what you don't have. If the imprint of the cross is not on your heart, don't expect that you're going to be able to give that to them. If the imprint of Jesus is not upon your heart, don't think that you're just going to automatically wake up and say, I'll be able to do it. I can give it to them. Only what you have is the imprint that you'll be able to make. So my father and mother and child, listen to me. The greatest imprint you can have is going to be the cross. It's going to be the gospel. It's going to be the understanding and the concept that Jesus said, if you want to enjoy your time in the land, you love me first. With all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Your faith is a 24-7 faith. It is not a tack-on at the end of the week to make yourself feel better because you started with church. It is not the last thing we tack on to our lives. It is the centerpiece where everything else in our lives revolves. That's the imprint that I can promise you this. If that imprint is given to our children, well, first of all, if it's in our hearts first and it's imprinted into our children, You have to worry about this society much longer. You really wouldn't. You wouldn't have to worry about the state of the church. You'd have to worry about offerings. You'd have to worry about workers. You wouldn't have to worry about all these things. You wouldn't have to worry about Congress. You wouldn't have to worry about the school system. because part of the gospel means we take that same hope that you and I have found and we see absolutely how many people we can tell of that wonderful good news that has transformed your life and made you prince and princesses of a king of the king of kings and lord of lords. Honor your father and your mother so that your days will be long in the land that the Lord, your God, gave you. Who knew that that formula, who knew that that one verse would be the secret? It would be the formula. It's the recipe for the true success of a nation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, dear God, that we will begin to, um, if we've not already, that we will begin right now thinking about this text upon our personal lives and our hearts. Lord, I do not want to, um, in any stretch of the imagination, I do, I do not want to manipulate people to do something that they may not be ready for or comfortable in doing. where I feel that I'm off limits, your Holy Spirit is free. And God, I, I just ask that your Holy Spirit, that you would convict in ways that I can't. That you would impact in ways that I'm not able to. And that every single person in here would give a fresh assessment of their role as father, mother, and of child that all of us would kind of take a fresh look at the impact that our family unit will make upon this nation, upon our country, upon our church. Father, may we be willing to stop making excuses, to stop justifying the convenience, to realize, God, that greater reward Greater enjoyment, greater fulfillment comes when I put you first. Not in word only, but with every fiber of my being. Father, I end this prayer realizing that there are real and significant hindrances that are present in the lives of mommies and daddies and of sons and daughters. God, I am not ignorant to know that the evil one is at work. And God, I know that his excuses can be so real. And Father, our guilt is also real. Our shame is real. Father, this is not a prayer or a plea for increased shame or guilt or excuses, but realizing that at the foot of the cross, all of those things, all of those things we can be free from by the bending of our knee, the position of our heart, and a fresh assessment of the gospel power of Jesus Christ in our lives. Father, I pray that as we sing, no one in this place would be hindered in coming. No decision would be left undone. No prayer would be left unsaid. That Your full and perfect will would be accomplished in this time of response. In Jesus' name that we pray.